welcome to Date Car Pod. I'm Jenna. And I'm Danica. And we're dropping a special episode um, this week um, in light of recent events that happened at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, on Wednesday, January 6th, there was an attempted coup at the U.S. Capitol um, where white supremacists, uh, Nazi sympathizers, actual Nazis mm. um, that are in the pro-Trump camp attempted to uh, disrupt Congress's job, which is to certify the results of the election that happened in November. Mm -hmm. Um, They caused a lot of damage. Um, Five people died, including, like, a police officer. And um, so it was just, like, a really scary day for a lot of people. Um, It was... (sighs) man <laughs> yeah it's it's hard enough to like talk about it like just factually not not feelings based at all like the feelings are uh, the whole other thing a whole other thing but it was it was but just like kind of factually it was like scary it was like something i'd never seen before you know you're just like you're looking at the tv you're looking at it online in my case i was in the middle of my work day taking care of small children and i was like just seeing all these things blowing up on Twitter. I have notifications on, which is probably unhealthy for my mental health. But like, (laughs) I was just like, Oh, Oh, it's these images are just so jarring. Um, not, not surprising, you know, like, and, and we'll talk about this a little later, but like, none of this is like quote unquote surprising. I'm not shocked. Um, it's more of just, it's jarring though. It just like hits you and you're just like, Oh my God. (laughs) Like, the fact that this is actually happening is just really, I don't know, disheartening too. I felt just really immediately drained, unable to really focus, uh, wanting to cry, you know, and being at work and just not being able to do that really, mm-hmm. even though the children love to cry all day at me. <laughs> um, <laughs> the kids are right. Yeah, they do. I do. I do understand the kids' lifestyles now way more. I'm like, yeah. can I shit my pants and cry too? Because that's how I felt. Yeah. I mean, I do it. I highly recommend. <laughs> um, yeah, I was also in the middle of my work day. Um, my boss is very understanding, thankfully. She just, like, gave us the rest of the day off. So thank you to my boss. But, like, I think it was one of those things where, like, in 2016 when he got elected – this is something we were all worried about. Like you and I are queer people. Um, it was one like we were just like joking to kind of get through it. Um, yeah. And like every time I talked about, you know, like with my more conservative like family members, like feeling scared or blah blah, blah they're like you're overreacting. Nothing's really gonna happen because we're used to sort of like. Uh, presidents that don't fucking do anything like i mean yeah he he's just he seems so ineffective in so many ways in like a bigger scheme and like the kind of the gaslighting of like your conservative friends and family all of ours you know right like nothing's gonna happen he's gonna take care of us it's all whatever and then you're like but then it happens you know it goes to show his what he's been doing for the last four years have really made Mm-hmm. have really emboldened people i mean and we're not ignorant to think that like racism and anti-semitism and all of that's not hasn't been around for um forever before no it, it's he, brand new it's brand new yes <laughs> just started in 2016 um and you know but it, it was long here before and it will be here after and um but i mean he just really has like emboldened a whole 
slew of people to really enact like this hatred and this like yeah it's so much to talk about i i know that we were going to try to keep this like intro part short Uh, neither of us are political commentators we're just people with feelings we (laughs) Um, aren't i feel like we say a lot of bullshit in our episodes well we lie all the time (laughs) this is true is the thing here's the truth um but uh this was like a scary peak at what we're probably going to be dealing with for at least the next four years Mm -hmm. it's one of those things like marginalized people have been telling us and we haven't been listening like yes we try (laughs) um but we have you know Uh gaps in our knowledge Uh um Uh but (sighs) it just sucks it's also kind of a moment where we got to figure out like what their politics like actually are and like we can stop reading new york times think pieces that are like these people have economic anxiety because that that's not it um (laughs) and we know this because they're literally they literally killed a cop they like they beat him up with a fire extinguisher (sighs) and he died so we know that the blue lives matter movement is not actually about cops lives at all it was just a reaction to black lives matter um so we know that their ideology is deeply entrenched in racism and it has nothing to do with law and order like all of that it's bullshit um they're just racist (laughs) mind-blowing and and i guess this fits a little bit into where i wanted to finally go into before we stop talking and we let other people talk is the you know response you see with bachelor nation (laughs) like influencer culture in general Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of talk about this in influencer culture and how we shouldn't be looking to them to speak on these things. And I'm, and as I mentioned on the Instagram, I'm not looking to Maga Ann to educate me on what is happening in the world. Wait, I think she has a lot of great things to say. We should, <laughs> we should really let her talk. Well, I've been trying to let her talk and she said shit all. So, <laughs> you know, but I'm not looking to these influencers to necessarily educate me. But you know, the thing is, you have to know that there are people who can and would be educated from certain influencers, you know, who mm-hmm. are maybe suburban type Moms who've been on the fence or they're the women who voted for Trump, you know, but not yeah. because they've actually really believe in anything he says, but just did it because of some weird conservatism, you know, and then they see these influencers that they follow and speaking up against and saying this is wrong could really go a long way and like changing like a rhetoric in their head. Because here's the thing. Trump is an influencer. Like that's what he is. He's not a president. He is a influencer. He goes on Twitter and he says these things and he influences people. So the concept that influencers don't have any ground to speak on this stuff is is the point's moot to me. You, they do have, <laughs> they have a platform, they have responsibility, and they should. Yes, I guess I don't want them to be out there continuing to echo what Trump is saying, of course. But for the people who we know who probably have decent politics for them to stay quiet during this time is really disheartening and and then you have people who are just like we haven't talked about much but garrett came back garrett gum came back and why well it's been so nice it's been so quiet and gentle and nice he's dating some other fucking this white yoga lady and and he's really shut up which is great but i guess apparently he said he got a bunch of messages being like garrett why don't you talk about what's happening in the world? And so he's like, all right, let me get on Instagram. And he writes this long paragraph that I'm not going to say. And it's like, 
it's just, all of it is like one of my favorite parts is like you're pro-choice with your body until it's a vaccine you're like, <laughs> stupid he <just> like, stupid <laughs> he's it just says all these he writes it in a poem almost and he's like you're this 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 but you're against this you're against you know free media but you'll ban the president i mean i all of it's just like the gym, the amount of like gymnastics these people do is like actually fucking wild like like, American exceptionalism is such a fucking disease, and, like, <laughs> this whole, like, concept of, like, liberty for everybody, like, everybody gets to do whatever the fuck they want without, like, care or concern for other people, it's a disease, like, it's it's gross. I want to be vaccinated against that, yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> I want mandatory vaccines for, yeah, I want a vaccine for republicanism, whatever the fuck this is called. <sighs> they just, like preserved the right to die basically like uh, I, I don't know I've I don't know if we've made this fucking clear yet but uh, I fucking hate Garrett <laughs> we hate him so much um and I saw unfortunately that his post is getting just like so many likes and support and it just makes you really sick to think that we still have so much to go and um, Y'all, he's not gonna pick you. Leave, just leave him alone. <laughs> Let him rot. He's sick. He's gonna pick you. Oh my god. No, it's so it's so true. And like, I don't think he lost like you know followers for that. He probably gained more. But then you look at somebody like Taylor and um, Dale Moss and Mike Johnson, who were very vocal this week and vocal about how speaking to their authentic you know selves lost them thousands and thousands of followers and it's just we have a long way to go but I want to say I want to thank everybody who's who's making efforts who is trying to make a difference in the small little communities that we do have including Bachelor Nation um it doesn't obviously it's not the end-all be-all it's not where your um activism should start or stop um but if it's like something that you're able to take time to do to comment and do and engage with I think it's great we have made differences Lauren Zeman doesn't have a podcast anymore. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> I want to say a couple of things mm-hmm. um, before we wrap it up. One, this should be sort of like a a reality check for all of us that like the people who don't speak up are doing so because of like advertising dollars. Mm-hmm. And I get it, like lost income. I mean, like I would be devastated, but that also means like they're fine with accepting money from white supremacists. Mm -hmm. So, like, Mm -hmm. just if you're still following these people, like, I was a hate follower of Tia. Um, (laughs) Mamma Mia. We can cut part of that out. Um, I was a hate follower of Mamma Mia for a while. And, um, you know, like, even hate follow, give them money. Yeah. So, (laughs) just, like... Give yourself some inner peace. Take away their one dollar and like just leave it at that. And the other thing I want to say is, um, we had a couple of messages this week um, that were like essentially people wondering like why um, Tasha didn't speak up mm-hmm. like day of. Mm-hmm. And um, just so it's clear, I think it's like in some ways really kind of toxic to 
expect that people are like ready to like respond in any way like within 24 hours of this like wild thing that you know we've never experienced in our literal history Mm -hmm. i think um and i think that's especially true for black people jewish people minorities like marginalized people like everybody has their own sort of like time that they need to process and she literally posted like the next day she's not a bad person for taking you know 12 hours to like wrap her head around whatever is going on Mm -hmm. and also it is really unfair to ask those communities to you know put their lives and livelihoods Mm -hmm. you know on the line for something that's like our shit Mm -hmm. um Tasha is the most visible black woman in the whole franchise right now Uh And that's just, it feels really icky to expect so much of her Uh um, when there's all this pressure on her to be like, we know that black people, women, etc. are not a monolith and she's sort of the voice for that community right now and it's unfair to expect her to like know how to respond right Uh away. Uh So please um while while we expect a lot of like the people in bachelor nation please give um marginalized people a break yeah um and if you haven't like already followed um black people queer people etc like in bachelor nation or otherwise just follow them um just do it please just do it (laughs) your your feed will be better for it um uh, maggot hand does not need any more attention or money nope nope and send all your hate mail to chris harrison who has not spoken out at all um so yeah cute yeah cute uh again so the rest of the episode's gonna be some recordings that were sent in from uh followers and viewers of the show we thank them so much we're also gonna read a couple of messages um that were sent in as well and with given with permission to read them out loud um we just want to thank everybody so much uh who sent in their pieces and took the time to do it and to like i mean it's been an emotional hard week and so we we are very 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 grateful um we want to thank everybody in the dms as well who just been having dialogue just really great dialogue educational sweet funny like ah I, y'all make this a really, really special and beautiful space on the internet, and that's really kind of like surprising to me based on the topics, Um, but (laughs) now I'm going to cry again. Anyway, um, thank you for listening. Thank you. And so, I found myself on the phone with a mentor of mine who I've done a couple shows with and she was offering me a job which was amazing because I don't know actors broke out here in these streets and I needed a gig so (laughs) as I was on the phone with her my friends and I were sitting in the car in Richmond Virginia which is the heart of the confederacy more KKK rallies and white supremacist events and gatherings have happened there than I care Uh, to have witnessed and we're sitting in the car and my friends just start gasping and it's silent as I'm having this phone call and it's not until about 20 minutes later when I finally get off the phone that I'm able to ask what's going on and I see the image 
of the two officers pointing guns um, wherever they or who at whoever they were pointing guns at in the chambers. And my heart dropped. And what sucked about it was there was no shock or surprise in the feeling anymore. The pit in my stomach, the, the fear, me being scared. It didn't feel strange. It didn't feel new. Um, I wasn't su- surprised at all. It just... The feeling came and went. And then there was anger and and anxiety. And there were the prick and the threat of tears. But we had things to do. What were we going to do? <laughs> Freeze, you know? And um, so all I could do was check in on my friends that lived in D.C. to make sure they were okay. And all we could do was check in on our own surroundings because for every rally that has happened in D.C., all of them have been based down here. You know, they come from one of a few places, Tennessee, West Virginia, Richmond, Virginia, uh, and, you know, the outskirts. Um, and they just, they, it felt like there was nothing we could do. Right. So I find myself in MDP circle named after Marcus, um, who was a black man shot and killed by police in the middle of a mental health crisis. And we essentially took back Robert E. Lee's circle earlier this summer, and uh, we reclaimed a Confederate statue, and it has completely been redone. There are basketball hoops there. Um, The Robert E. Lee statue itself has been painted to memorialize the movement, right? There's what some would call graffiti on it. It says, Black Lives Matter, fuck the police, defund them. Trump sucks, like anything, you know, black trans lives matter is at the forefront of this Robert E. Lee statue in the middle of Monument Avenue in Richmond, freaking Virginia. And there's a garden there. There's no, absolutely no weapons allowed in the vicinity. And it's incredible because it's across the street from um, the apartment where shoot hell I guess I used to live <laughs> for for like four or five years and um, I wanted to go see it because uh, as an activist who doesn't live in the area anymore and as an artist who doesn't live in the area anymore I watched very closely this summer as I was organizing elsewhere to see how Richmond was doing and of course there was a white supremacist couple of them sitting there antagonizing a black man who is in MDP circle every freaking day and I couldn't help but engage I have a short fuse but I've been learning how to manage it for the movement and 
I'm also once again an actor, so I'm not trying to get caught up in the media um, or get in trouble with any, you know, jobs or, or potential um, deals I have by acting a plum fool. But I went up to this white supremacist who was crip walking in front of this black man, calling him a skid mark and saying that he was a piece of shit that was worthless and didn't deserve to live. I went up to this man and I asked him what his intentions were. What was he gaining? And what were his intentions to intimidate and antagonize? And if so, why? And his friend in the truck had nothing to say. And and this gentleman, he spoke to me very, very kindly. I've noticed that with white supremacists. They love to speak to you plainly and calmly so that they seem like they have the higher moral ground. But I know how to keep my cool, too, so... That's the game we're going to play. That's the game we were going to play. And my white friend, she stood by my side. And just as we were walking over, I apologized to her. Because I knew that I had to confront this man. And she was like, just tell me how I can be here for you. And I talked to this man. And he really had no reason to be around. He wasn't from the area. (laughs) In fact... The only reason he was there was because his leader, I guess some dude named Mike, knows the gentleman, the the young black man that's in that circle every day. And that young black man has a restraining order against him. So this dude came on Mike's behalf, essentially to let um, the young black man, whose name I will not share, know that they were watching him. And eventually I got the police to come through and remove the white supremacists from the premises. Um, And it was all caught on tape, of course, because there was a documentarian standing right there. And before they left, this white supremacist dude says to me, don't worry, we will see you on January 18th. And he said the same thing to the police officers. And I find myself baffled. And I know that this is way too long at this point. You know, feel free to cut, chop, and screw however you need. But I find myself baffled that the United States of America was under a domestic terror attack by a group of white supremacists that have found themselves in this cult of Trumpian nature, nature um, of epic proportions. I find my black ass in Richmond, Virginia, the heart of the Confederacy, arguing with a white supremacist about why he is trying to intimidate and antagonize a young black man into fighting him in front of a Confederate statue of Robert E. Lee that's been reclaimed by the black community and and all of the marginalized communities that exist in Richmond, Virginia. What is 2021? What is this year already? Off rip. This year is violent and all I could do was Stand there until they left. 
And I found myself putting my black, femme-presenting, female-identifying body in between this black man and this white supremacist. And I found myself disregarding my own safety, disregarding the respect uh, that I deserve, my ability to not be talked over, my ability to be respected. I disregarded it all so that I could present a united front with a young black man who was being threatened by a white supremacist in the middle of a terror attack, not even a hundred miles, a hundred miles away from where everything was going down. And I think that's wild that black women are out here sacrificing their flesh like that. And I I am baffled that I'm... I'm just grateful to still be here. Hey, Date Card. My name's Michelle. I'm a relatively new listener to y'all's podcast, but I really appreciate you opening up this space to have this discussion. As a Jewish woman in America, it is extremely frustrating to see the complete silence from the vast majority of non-Jews on the involvement of anti-Semitism specifically in recent events. Anti-Semitism and racism are the foundational tenets of white supremacy, and on Wednesday specifically, we saw images of Nazi flags, we saw a man wearing a Camp Auschwitz sweatshirt referring to the Nazi concentration camp Auschwitz, where at that camp alone over one million Jews were killed. Obviously, anti-Semitism is not the only and not even necessarily the most important factor involved in these events, but the absolute lack of dialogue from non-Jews is extremely upsetting, yet completely unsurprising to see at this point. It's very uncommon to see non-Jewish people speaking up about anti-Semitism the same way that they may speak up about other forms of oppression. I also recognize that, personally, I am a white-functioning Jew, I do have the conditional privilege where I appear to the world as a white woman in my daily life, and I absolutely want to hold space for those who don't have that privilege. That being said, I do think that many people fail to realize just how prevalent anti-Semitism is in white supremacist ideology, and also the ways in which anti-Semitism may show up on the left or may show up in life in general um, on a day-to-day basis. So... I ask that any non-Jews listening take the time to check in on your Jewish friends, let them know that you see them through all of this, and also to educate yourself about the prevalence and functions of anti-Semitism, because you may be surprised how little you know about the topic, how little it is actually talked about compared to how prevalent it is. Uh, I personally am by no means an expert on this subject, but if anybody would like to open up a dialogue or ask me questions or be guided to some additional resources, please, please, please don't hesitate to DM me on Instagram at shell.fay, C-H-E-L-L-E dot F-A-Y, and I will be happy to talk to you there. Thank you so much for listening. What really pissed me off this week about Bachelor Nation as a whole was um, as far as like responses to what went on. It wasn't James Taylor and the Garretts and Sean, you know, and like the the clear Trumpies who we we know and like are obviously peddling, directly peddling hateful rhetoric. Like that's a whole thing unto itself. Um, But for me, what like really, really pissed me off the most was 
the responses from the the players in the in Bachelor Nation who have the the largest platforms, you know, Hannah Brown, Caitlin Bristow, Cassie Randolph, Amanda Stanton, all of these people who are just kind of really refusing to take a stance because of because they would they would lose their followers and they would lose money making opportunities. I mean, they wouldn't really lose that much money, but um they're not willing to take a side on literally whether white supremacy is fucking bad or not because they want to still be able to sell their curling wands and their spawn con and not lose followers in that way. And it's just really disappointing. You would think that after all of the events of 2020 that, you know, these white people who have huge platforms would maybe... I don't know, feel a little responsibility for their whiteness and, and take better action, especially when you have tons of POC and other more educated white people in your responses and your DMs being like, hey, this is not okay. This is what you need to say, blah, 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 blah. Your silence is violence. But even more than that, when you, oh God, what really pissed me off was was reading Cassie's post that she was clearly, um, her arm was clearly twisted into saying something because her lack of saying something uh, was heavily scrutinized. So when she finally did say something, she farted out like some nothing statement about how bullying is bad and how, um, and Jojo did something like this too, except Jojo didn't even say anything. She just reposted Becca Tilly's post. But all of these posts that just really say nothing, like what's not clicking? Condemn white supremacy. It's your job. Do it. And the fact that, like, I... I hold, am holding these players accountable um, when I know that... Or I, I know that they're not going to rise to the occasion and be better because at the end of the day, it's all about Instagram gains and spell, selling SpawnCon. And it just, it just really pissed me off. Um, and made me, you know, continue to be critical about my consumption of the Bachelor franchise and, and my role in that and how that the show in itself is a tool in upholding white supremacy and, and capitalism. And yeah, I you know, this week started out in one way and then it just really fucking made me mad. Thank you so much for letting me speak on this podcast. I want to start by mentioning that I'm a white functioning woman, meaning I benefit from white privilege in the same ways that all white functioning people do, and am responsible for unpacking my white privilege and addressing racism in my communities. Many people don't know that there are actually many Jewish people who are not white functioning. A fun fact is that most Jewish people in Israel are people of color, and many Jewish people in the U.S. are also people of color. So I can only speak to my experiences here. Wednesday night, we saw neo-Nazis and white supremacists storm the Capitol. Anti-Semitism is a core part of these ideologies. If we want to be anti-racist, we have to be intersectional and also fight anti-Semitism. But honestly, this seems like an impossible mission right now because awareness of what anti-Semitism even is, is really lacking. So I thought I'd take this time to share a little bit about anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is the hate of Jewish people. 
So let's start with who are Jewish people? Jews are an ethno-religious tribe indigenous to Judea, the land we currently call Israel-Palestine. Jews faced multiple exiles and forced displacements by occupying nations, which resulted in the Jewish diaspora, where many Jews were taken as slaves and otherwise ended up scattered around the globe. Some Jews remained in the native region and experienced their own challenges there. Jews have maintained traditions despite oppression and diaspora. We're identified today by where our ancestors ended up in diaspora. There are also non-diaspora Jews. Ethnic Jews may or may not practice the religion, and there are also some Jews who converted to the religion who are not ethnically Jewish. Today, Jews make up only 0.2% of the global population. Across all time and all regions, Jews have been treated as outsiders and have faced at minimum oppression and at worst massacres and genocide, and this goes way beyond the Holocaust. There's a lot to learn in terms of the various anti-Semitic policies that have existed in various countries over time and still exist in some countries today, and the government-sanctioned massacres and all of that. An important note is that Jews in pre-Nazi Germany and current-day U.S. are the most assimilated that diaspora Jews have ever been. So we should recognize the significance of this in our conceptualization of the Jewish experience. Fascinatingly, the same anti-Semitic stereotype has fueled anti-Semitism across cultures and time. So what is the anti-Semitic stereotype? It is that Jews are evil, conniving, greedy people who will do anything to take over. Those of us who are progressive can easily identify this messaging when it's spread by neo-Nazis and white supremacists, but we may not notice how we ourselves believe and spread anti-Semitic rhetoric. The reason that even those of us on the left are susceptible to being anti-Semitic is because remember that the root of anti-Semitism is that Jews are powerful. So we don't monitor how we speak about Jews, as many of us might try to do when we speak about other groups that have faced historical marginalization. When we speak about a person who belongs to a group that has faced historical marginalization, we should make sure that the words coming out of our mouths and the images we spread don't perpetuate the negative stereotypes about that group. But when we speak about people who are Jewish, it's not the norm to do this because anti-Semitism leads us to erase the history and current experiences of Jews. So what about when a Jewish person, group, or leader of a country does something horrible, right? There are people of all ethnic and religious backgrounds who do bad things, and sometimes we need to call these bad things out. Well, of course, we can and should do that when the person, group, or leader is Jewish as well. However, the same thing applies. We need to make sure that when we speak about these bad things, we say it in a way that does not perpetuate conspiracies and stereotypes about Jews as a whole. Nobody leaving that conversation or having just looked at that Instagram post should be able to say, wow, this makes me think Jewish people are evil and power hungry. So each of us has the responsibility to make sure that that's the case. That usually means being very specific about the actions or policy we're calling out being very direct and providing necessary context that would disprove any anti-Semitic conspiracies that could be spread by the situation, and make sure that you aren't signaling, singling out problems from people, groups, and leaders that are Jewish, and not also doing that for other people, groups, and leaders that also did similar bad things who are not Jewish. This is a really common anti-Semitic scapegoating strategy that tends to become extra prevalent during times of crisis. We've seen this a lot recently in conversations of police brutality and coronavirus. I can't even count the number of times I've been exposed to anti-Semitic conspiracies in social justice spaces in the last several months. It's honestly just so, so common. And it's also incredibly uncommon for anti-Semitism to be called out in these spaces. I'm not saying this to suggest anti-Semitism only comes from social justice spaces. It comes from everywhere. I'm just highlighting this to point out that even in social justice spaces, which are supposed to be the most inclusive, 
there's a huge anti-Semitism problem. And Jews ourselves don't feel like we're in a position to call it out when it comes up in the moment, oftentimes. And I can try to illustrate why, although I have to admit I'm really nervous too. I guess I'll say first that most Jews in the U.S. are Democrats, and many of us care about racial justice, which involves some level of awareness that there are many other groups of people who face marginalization. We have a sense of our positionality within the broader picture. In my experience, when anti-Semitism comes up, I often worry that in calling it out, it might seem like I'm trying to center Jewish people and decenter other marginalized groups. And that's the last thing I would want to do. So that often feel, leaves me feeling like, well, this might not be an appropriate time to bring up anti-Semitism, or I'm not sure if or how to tell that person that what they said was anti-Semitic because they face their own very real oppression. And from conversations I've had with friends who are Jewish, this seems to be the case pretty much every time anti-Semitism comes up. It's never the perfect time. There's always this risk and fear. And also, we're often gaslit from those on the right and left when we actually do point it out. That often looks something like, look at the Jewish people always making it about themselves. This is just proof that they have all the power and control the media. And we're just like, shoot, you know, it backfires. And this is a really exhausting experience. Even when the conversation is about neo-Nazis, we get gaslit in this way. It's a really complicated thing, and this is one reason why it would mean so much if the non-Jewish world would start addressing anti-Semitism. We can't do this alone. And it would be great if it could be addressed in a genuine way and not superficially and not performatively. When anti-Semitism is brought up in the mainstream, it's often done so in a problematic way. For example, recently there was a virtual panel held about anti-Semitism in political progressive spaces. This was one of the first conversations about this topic on the left to really gain traction and attention. However, panelists were all non-Jews except for one Jewish person. Not only this, but the non-Jewish people on the panel had all been called out for anti-Semitism in the past. And the Jewish person was considered by many to be used as a token in this, um, as a token Jew in this scenario, since he holds certain beliefs that do not align with most American Jews. How problematic is it that the conversation about anti-Semitism in the mainstream is being led by those who are redefining the Jewish experience and terminology in such a way that excuses their own anti-Semitism? So they're really decentering Jews from conversations about our own histories and experiences. And sadly, these are popular political figures who are doing this. One of the most difficult things for me after the insurrection was to see how politicians like Ted Cruz and AOC got into petty arguments about who is the least anti-Semitic, using Jews as a political pawn. This was so infuriating because obviously we all know Ted Cruz has empowered white supremacists and neo-Nazis, but also AOC. And I'll start by saying she has an like she's an incredible feminist role model, leader, and activist for so many marginalized groups, and I support her for all of this work. Um, but no political figure is perfect, and Jews happen to be a group that she has not supported and has actively harmed over the years. I'm not going to go into details, but she's uplifted outright anti-Semites, refused to apologize for um, the anti-Semitic things she's done, and refused to meet with Jewish leaders, and also justified her behavior by sharing that she has Jewish ancestry and much more. So in these moments, after seeing displays of white supremacy and Nazism, hearing someone like her choose this moment to condemn anti-Semitism when she, along with most Americans, don't do anything to dismantle it in their day-to-day -day lives is so, so upsetting and terrifying. 
So this is all to say, Jews know very well that anti-Semitism is more often gaslit than acknowledged. So when events like Wednesday happen, we're not only scared because there are neo-Nazis who want us dead, but we're also really terrified because we've been given absolutely no reason to believe that the non-Jewish world would stand up for us if it comes down to it. If anything, what we've learned is that the non-Jewish world holds many of the same basic anti-Semitic beliefs as the overt neo-Nazis. I am not comparing neo-Nazis to the general population, but what I am saying is many of the anti-Semitic beliefs about who Jewish people are, are really mainstream. Something we all need to acknowledge is that Jews of color exist and are the target of both racism and anti-Semitism. I can't speak to this experience, so I recommend you follow and learn from those who can. There are lots of wonderful activists and educators out there. And all of what I've shared is from my own personal perspective. I can't speak for anyone else. There are lots of Jewish people with lots of different experiences and, background, and backgrounds, and it's important to listen to a variety of voices. So please continue to educate yourselves on anti-Semitism and include Jews in your activism. Thank you so much. Um, anonymous follower here. I plan on holding every one of these Bachelor Nation people accountable. Them not speaking up or using their platforms the right way for what is right is literally putting my kids at risk every fucking day because of their beautiful skin color. It kills me. It's the hardest thing I've had to deal with since obvious racism has shown its ugly face in the form of our country's commander-in-chief. Get me to inauguration day, please. I also wrote to Taylor as well. I think it's a joke that she loses followers because of how real she is, and yet Amanda, Lauren, gosh knows who else, doesn't have the balls to speak up or quote-unquote know what to say when they don't even understand how saying nothing at all is putting more POC at risk of harassment, danger, and even death. No one said anything when Trump said, let's storm the Capitol and look what happened. It's a scary world that he has, even has 70 million followers. His words, lies, racism is literally putting our lives at risk every moment. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and all the amazing ways you're fighting this fight with us. Uh, from Nitty Gritty of Ditties of Brooke on Instagram. I don't have anything very elegant to say, but I've been thinking about the erasure of Judaism and other religions on this season of The Bachelor, signaled by the prayer by Matt along with the erasure of other religions that the Trumpers storming the Capitol clearly want. The second group is obviously more overt and violent than the first, but I do wonder how much the lack of Jewish people in quote-unquote normal or everyday spaces in their media might contribute to their beliefs. I also have been thinking about the Jewish erasure on the issue from both sides of the political spectrum when speaking about the insurrection. I've only seen other Jews speak about the anti-Semitism tied to it, which is why I was happy to see that you called it out specifically in your addendum to your post. An anonymous follower writes in, We are so often forgot about in activism that it really does hurt. Something I struggle with a lot is trying to bring up anti-Semitism and how problematic and prevalent it is when there are so many other marginalized groups that go through so much as well. And I never want to minimize other communities and their struggles in society, so... It definitely is hard to bring up problems with anti-Semitism without personally feeling guilty for taking attention away from other issues. And I love how so many people are speaking up about racism and the absolute mistreatment and justice against BIPOC groups. And I never want to make it seem like those things aren't out of the utmost importance. But a lot of the time it does hurt to see so much clear anti-Semitism just ignored 
even among the most quote-unquote woke people. An anonymous follower writes in, On January 6th, while I was shocked about what had happened at the Capitol, I was not surprised by MAGAs. As an Asian American, I cannot comprehend why there are some POC that have chosen to back up and vote for Trump. It sickens me. I have been a fan of the Bachelor franchise since I was in third grade. I know, such a young age. But as I have gotten older, seeing how there are people in the Bachelor Nation like Chris Harrison who have stayed silent on the matters that have happened on January 6th shows you where their support lies on issues of politics. That being said, I began a Bachelor account back in 2016 with a Trump supporter. At first, I was okay with that. But as time went on, I decided... It was best that I make the transition to solely work on the account on my own. Just recently, I broke away from this MAGA Latina woman. I feel liberated and free that I can speak my mind. As a Bachelor Nation fan, I believe that it is best to follow leads and contestants from the show that support what is right and are not afraid to lose brand deals for speaking about what happened. Hey, Jenna and Danica. Uh, this is Stacy calling in from New York. Thank you for creating this space. I really appreciate it. And I've been tried recording this twice now, so hopefully this isn't too bad. But as a white Jewish person, I am in this situation where I benefit from white privilege and am also very much the target of white supremacy and the people who stormed the Capitol last week. And Holocaust imagery that they have on posters and discussions around comparisons to Kristallnacht, where people were killed and sent to concentration camps. And it's been a really difficult thing to fully process not because it's a surprise, but because it's just been so in your face and so much everywhere. Just the past week has been kind of a reminder of how much that Jewishness doesn't quite belong in Bachelor Nation and... Um, I just encourage anyone to read, um, read up on anti-Semitism and everything else that's talked about in today's podcast. And, uh, well, um, thank you for letting me say all this. Hi. Well, <laughs> like, how do you even start something like this? First off, I am so appreciative of y'all opening up a space where BIPOC can just honestly probably process everything that's been going on, um, especially with everything that happened last week. It is that really fun reminder that uh, these things are not surprising and... And they're going to keep happening um, until people understand what it means to be anti-racist. I think the biggest thing for me is it is terrifying 
not being white in America. And I don't want to be white. Like, I, I want to make that perfectly clear. Um, so maybe instead the statement of it's terrifying to be BIPOC in America and in a place where, <laughs> um, where, you know, we didn't start off great. <laughs> Stolen land, um, genocide, gosh, slavery, etc. This is this is exactly like who America has grown up to be. I don't know why everyone is so shocked. Um, and I think the most important thing that we can be doing is dismantling the ways that we benefit from privilege as well as white supremacy if you are white. Um, and specifically if you're not black, I'm not black. And that is a privilege because of the way that, um, black people have to move throughout the world. Like, so it's us figuring out everything that we benefit from and starting to dismantle that. And it's not easy. Like that's work. And I think the biggest part of that is a lot of people don't think that, that should be required of them. (laughs) And they're like, well, I'm not racist. So, and, and that's just not, that's just not reality. I, um, (laughs) maybe I should have started out with my name. My name is Katie. Um, and I'm a prevention educator. So I get to go into schools and teach things like consent and stereotypes and, um, respect and empathy in the hopes of preventing, um, sexual violence. Because when you realize that other people are humans, it you makes you less likely to commit, um, any type of sexual violence, any type of sexual crime or crimes in general for that matter. So, um, you know, it, it's, I think everything that's been happening has been a long time coming. Um, I know it's not going to get fixed overnight. And I also know that it's not, it's not, it's not going to get fixed unless people want to fix it. And until people start realizing that there are people, (laughs) that we're all people, um, and that, we have a right to live and not be scared and not live in fear. And the fact of the matter is like, because white supremacy is so divisive and harmful, um, it's, it allows people who benefit from it to not, (laughs) to not think it's their problem. And so until, (laughs) until you make it your problem, nothing's going to get fixed. And that's scary because I know a lot of people who don't want to do the work and who think that they're doing fine. Um, Thankfully, the people I have in my life that I've surrounded myself with who are white are incredibly um, well-informed and are continuing to try to dismantle their own, you know, thinking and white supremacy that they benefit from on the daily. But it's scary. And when things like this happen, you question the safety. And 
the amount of trauma that the last year has already held and now this it is just that reminder of how much I mean first of all god the amount of <laughs> the amount of trauma the amount of the amount of people that we need to be <laughs> um racial trauma experts is astounding I'm sure um but on a much lighter note um you know there are plenty of resources out there um definitely want to remi- remind all of my <laughs> my fellow um black indigenous people of color that it's not our job it's not our job to educate white people um google exists and there's so much to hold right now and we're not responsible for it and it's okay to not function quote unquote properly while all this is happening and so I just hope that everyone is giving themselves some grace as as we navigate that um and like just as y'all have been talking on Instagram about accessibility as well like there are just so many areas of privilege um from having an abled body to race to education to class to language to citizenship and so no matter who you are there is some area of privilege you might have and the fact of the matter is just because it doesn't affect you doesn't mean you get to ignore it because the fact of the matter is if you have more privilege you're going to be listened to first so just because a building doesn't have an accessible ramp doesn't mean I'm like well that doesn't bother me because my my legs work like that's not (laughs) that's not how that works and the unfortunate part of the matter is is that I'm going to be heard before someone who might have a disability um, is going to be heard and that's not fair but that's reality and so we need to be doing better about dismantling the ways that we benefit from privilege, all of us, in every single way, because there is some way that you benefit from privilege, whether it's because you're white, whether it's because you speak English, whether it's because you're a citizen, you are able-bodied, you are cisgender, you are straight, like, you benefit some way. And so we need to do better about dismantling those things and because and and it's terrifying to be on the other end of that to be the person who doesn't have the most privilege in the room and I think that's what people don't understand because it is beyond frustrating to me that I can have all this knowledge and information on anti-racism and try to get people to go in that direction and yet a white man is going to be heard before me and that's terrifying because that because I know more. <laughs> I might know more um, on a certain subject. Just like, so I, I know more about racism because I've experienced it than a white man does. And it's terrifying that they're going to be heard before I am when I'm the one who has the most information. Same is true, I'm sure, for people with, um, who don't have uh, able bodies. Like, it's terrifying that, like, people who do have able bodies are the people who are going to be heard first. 
And so that's why we need to do a better job of listening. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's the message. I don't know. At this point, I feel like I'm rambling. Um, but thank y'all just for opening up a space to talk and process and, um, yeah, not that we need to bring up another white woman, um, but Brene Brown has asks the question in one of her books of, do you think everyone is doing the best that they can? And um, she was like, no, <laughs> like that's my knee jerk reaction. And she asked her husband and he says, I don't know, I need to think about it. And he came back and said, I don't know if everyone's doing the best they can, but I do know that when I that when I do have that mindset, I move through the world with a lot more grace and kindness for people. And I think that maybe that's what we need to be doing. Not in the sense of, um, no, people need to be doing better when it comes to dismantling white supremacy. But just as we come to continue to walk throughout this like ugh, fucked up world, um, remind yourself that you're doing the best that you can especially if you're a black indigenous person of color um, and give yourself some grace and for resources I would absolutely 100% recommend Me and White Supremacy by Layla Saad um, because she is incredible um, and her book is phenomenal it's 30 days of dismantling white supremacy and everyone needs to read it um yeah thank y'all thank you for listening to Descartes pod make sure you're following us on social media on instagram we are Descartes pod on twitter we are Descartes podcast you can email us at Descartes the podcast at gmail and make sure you're following your hosts danica is at drunk feminist on instagram and jenna is jenna with a smile Make sure you are subscribed to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Hey, leave us a review. This is the final podcast tonight, when you are ready. I'm going to need you all to roll plus charm to do the ad. That's a five. I got a 10. Eight. All right, Travis. Buddy can manage to get out the name of the show, but not much else. Monster Pod. Sadie, Jimmy's going to be able to get out the premise, but you didn't roll high enough for any spoilers. Monster Pod is a real play Monster of the Week podcast where four government-employed idiots try to save the world. Sarah, Thomason rolled high enough to finish the ad. At least it's every other Friday here on So Below Media. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.